We are continuing through the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 7 to 16. And last week we looked at the Beatitudes and the general introduction. And rather than preaching a sermon on each Beatitude, um, probably what I'll end up doing is just, just follow the blog and I'll explain a little bit of what they mean. Otherwise, it's going to take us forever to get through this. <laughs> but remember, the big idea as we come to the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus is trying to show you and I that his commands are something we can never do on our own and that you're called to do so based on your position in Christ, to do so with God's blessing already, which is only possible through faith. And so, as one commentator put it, Jesus has already assured his disciples of their blessed position, regardless of their circumstances. So the world might hate us and scorn us and laugh at us, but we can know that God smiles at us. And so keep that in your mind as we talk about salt and light and what the church is called to be, because it's easily, we, we quit, we're easy to forget that we, we are called to be salt and light as those uh, who are blessed in Christ. So let's read it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 to 16. This is God's word. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And this is God's word. It's absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would teach us, send your spirit to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, uh, to see the wonders of your grace, uh, how incredibly patient you are with us, and we pray that you would make, make our church a salt and light in this community. And so may we do so as those who are connected to Jesus by faith. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So the Beatitudes end was... It's probably one of the worst marketing campaigns you could think of, but also the most honest. I mean, blessed are the persecuted. For, and you should rejoice if you are persecuted for Jesus' sake, for great is your reward in heaven. And you think about how commercials go. All right, you've seen them. You try this medicine and your life will never be, be the same. No longer will you be lonely, miserable, in pain. Uh, all the darkness will flee you experience light in life, and then you have the small letters <laughs> that tell you, you know, if you're dying, tell your doctor, because there are side effects. And Jesus says, 
right from the get-go. If you follow me, if you take my word seriously, if you are connected to me by faith, you should expect pain. You should expect to be rejected. Um, that you can do absolutely everything right and still be rejected. Um, now, follow me, says Jesus. <laughs> and I know this, this grates against us, and this is what we're going to talk about, is what does it look for look like for us as the church to go out into the world. That's what this last part of the, the Beatitudes are about. It's what salt and light is about. How do we, as the church, relate to the world armed with God's grace? And if you, you are the blessed ones if you are in Christ, if you believe him. Therefore, how does that change the way you approach the world? How, do you, how, do you, how you deal with your neighbors, how you deal with your loved ones, how you deal with other people? Right? And Jesus says, if you get involved with people, you should expect to, to get hurt. If you, even if you keep God's law for Jesus' sake, people will reject you. Even if you're doing it with the right attitude, the right, right you have their best interests in mind, that, that people, people will hurt you. Right? And so, what I want to do this morning is just ask us, where do we get the willingness to go out into a hostile world, um, to go out knowing you're going to be rejected, um, to go out knowing that not everybody wants to believe like we believe, because that's just the world in which we live. How do you get the willingness to actually want to live a good and beautiful life for their sakes so that God gets the glory and we just fade into the background? That's what Jesus is telling you. If you want to be salt and light, you want to live such a wonderful life, among your neighbors so that they don't think about you, but they say, I thank God that you are here. You know, I want to give glory to God for the fact that you are here, here in my life. And how do you get there? Because right, I know what happens when we are faced with the reality that someone's going to reject us. And we have two natural responses. If we're going to be rejected for Christ's sake, we either run away because I don't want to get hurt. It's, it's human. Or, in the face of the pressure to think and fit into the world, we change what we believe. And Jesus says, as we talk about salt and light, we don't have either of those options. All right? And so if you look at it, it's one of, the, one of the things we're tempted to do. We're always tempted when someone comes alongside of us and says, I don't like you because you're a Christian. I just don't want to deal with you. I don't want to hear it. We're tempted to run away and hide because the world out there is evil. It's scary. Um, that's, that's kind of the way the church has traditionally talked about the world. If there's monsters out there, so if we stay in here, we'll be safe. Right? And, I mean, the argument against that, Jesus is going to tell us, it's salt and light. But you remember, the, we talked about this this morning in Sunday school. You remember the movie The Village? And we mentioned it briefly. Of where it's it's an old movie, so I'm spoiler alert. It's like 13 years old. So if you haven't seen it, <laughs> but it's the, the movie starts and there's all these people living together in a community, and it looks like they're living on the frontier. There's no electricity. There's no modern medicine. Um, there's no modern conveniences. It's like a flashback. And the only rule in this community is don't leave the community, because if you go out in the woods, there's monsters out there, and it's not going to go well with you. Don't trust the other villages way out there scary because they're, they're liars, they're cheaters. You can't trust them. 
And in this village, right, there's just this convenient deal. If we leave the monsters alone, they'll leave us alone. And the assumption is if we live our lives the way we're going to live our lives, we can make a good life here and everything will be fine, which is always the temptation as the church. And so what happens in the movie, there's a whole series of events where they're forced to leave the village because evil came calling and suffering came into the village. And you find out that this village is not actually back in the frontier in the 1800s just trying to make it. They're in the 20th century. And that a whole bunch of people had suffered and lost and dealt with crime and hatred and misery. And they said, we we're going to try and create a safe space for our kids. And the whole message of the movie is you can't do that. And that's exactly what Jesus says. If you want to be the salt of the earth, you actually have to get in and live among your neighbors. It's saying that the church, this is really what I want us to think about this morning, is we cannot be a monastery where we hide from the world and try and serve God just amongst ourselves because we are called to go out into the world. So, so avoiding the world, this is, this is our temptation. To, just because it's bad out there, it doesn't mean we're off the hook. We're still called to go out. And Jesus tells us, right, avoiding the world will make us useless because it's like lighting a lamp and just covering it up. What good is that to people living in the house? They can't see. Of course, the other pressure is to assimilate. Or we go out and say, Jesus is the only way. He is the light. He is the truth. The Bible is God's word. If you want to experience the blessing of heaven, you have to come to Christ. And we immediately get pushed back. And so we're tempted to change that, the way we think. And Jesus says assimilation is not an option. I mean, especially in light of persecution, physical persecution. Will you recant? I mean, there's histories in church history, examples of people in church history who face that pressure. Change your belief or we will kill you. And people died singing. Um, I think of... I mean, it's in the, the movie Endo, uh, in the movie Silence, basically, where these Japanese priests go into Japan in the 17th century, and the, the country of Japan is determined that Christians, Westerners, are just not welcome, and, and all these people were, were bombarded and saying, if you don't change your faith, if you don't reject Christ and be like us, be Japanese, you know, the, their particular worldview, we're going to kill you. And that's what happened. Christians refused to recant. They were tied to stakes, they were put on the shore and just waited for the tide to wear them down until they drowned. And so the, the pressure is always on us to, to try and blend in, to try and not be noticed, because if I'm noticed, it's, people might not like me. Right? And so you, you study the history of our church, of, of the American church. You will find that's what happened. People started saying, well... Maybe the Bible is just another book. Why do we have to say it's the only place you can really know God as he is? They, the world says miracles aren't possible, so maybe we should say that too and just reject the supernatural parts of the Bible. You know, or Jesus dying for sins? That sounds like cosmic child abuse. Let's throw the cross out. Let's just keep the Sermon on the Mount and be nice to each other. 
And, that, and then all you're left is with a bunch of people who don't have any problems trying to do good, who haven't really understood the pressure to be perfect as God is perfect. And Jesus says assimilation is going to make us useless salt. We're not going to be able to change the world at all. That if you change your faith for the sake of the world to try and blend in and fit in, you actually become tasteless salt. So what is Jesus after? If avoiding and assimilation aren't the option, what does he tell us to do? And here's the good news. You get to see that we are the manure of the earth and that we are light. And I'm going to explain that. So it's, not, it's meant to be good news, not an insult. <laughs> you smell lovely this morning. All right, so what, what does Jesus say? If you go into a hostile world as people who are armed with the gospel, rejoice in the, sake of, in the face of persecution and go in as salt and light. And so let's look at the first point. Jesus says, you and I are the salt of the earth. This is verse 13. And he says, if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, before we jump into this, I want to, I'm going to keep going through this. Before you're ever told what you are to do as a Christian, Jesus says, this is who you are. He's not saying, do this in order to be salt. He says, by virtue of having my blessing, you are salt. You are light. And what Jesus is doing, he's talking to the poor people, the farmers, the, all these people who are trying, wanting to be his disciples. And he's training them to bring people into God's kingdom, to believe. And he says, you are salt. And so if you want to know how to relate to the world, Jesus says, you have to understand your identity. You have a new identity through faith. You are salt. Now, what does that mean? Well, there's two things. Right? Salt in the ancient world was used for two different ways. One as a preservative and another to... to it's for fertilizer, and we're going to talk about both because they give a good picture of what the world is like. All right, so, so that meat wouldn't putrefy and decay, salt had to be rubbed in. It had to be a preservative. In a world where they didn't have refrigerators, if, if you wanted meat to last more than a day before it started smelling terrible, you had to rub salt in it, and that's one of the things they would do. And if you're a Christian, you might have heard Sermons based on this whole idea that Christians, we are salt, that we go into the neighborhoods, we go into our communities, we go into our workplaces, and even in our families to stop things from falling apart. To stop families from falling apart, to stop um, just lies from compl coming completely apart. And when you see neighborhoods and cities and, and death and, and misery, Christians are the ones who are called to go in and and be the salt, to be the preservative. We're not to run away. Avoiding is not an option. Right? And so, just think about what that means about the world. See if this rings true to your experience. If you leave it alone, everything falls apart. Uh, the best relationships we could have, uh, marriage, if you don't work on it, it's going to fall apart. Physically, we know you're falling apart. 
I did physical activity yesterday. It hurts to hold my coffee. <laughs> All right. Things fall apart. Our bodies are falling apart. The world itself, scientists will tell us, that within however many millions of years, the sun's just going to burn itself out and there's going to be nothing left. Everything is corrupting. It's, everything's falling apart. And Jesus uses this metaphor of salt by saying that even people, if you leave them to themselves, all they're going to think about is themselves. And there will be strife. There will be difficulty. There will be disagreement. We won't get along. And Christians are called to go into the world as peacemakers. Right. may not necessarily make peace because they'll be persecuted, but we are the ones who go into the broken lives of, of our neighbors and say, I'm here to serve. And I know it's, it's offensive because it's implying to say that we are salt, we're saying that the world is rotten. Right. It's like meat decaying. But yet, this is what Jesus says. And I think it's realistic. Just look at the way people treat each other. Everybody's like an exposed nerve. You say the wrong thing, and it just hurts, and they lash out. We have no ability to deal with rejection or hostility. And so for salt to be salt, according to Jesus, we're only useful for right there in the middle of the rottenness. And really, for salt to be salt, we have to admit, for us to gain our saltiness, that the rottenness starts with us. Let me expand the metaphor. Right, it, it, salt was also used as fertilizer. It, my grandfather's a farmer, so I have this picture in my head of the, the big manure pit in the back, and even just pulling into the driveway, smelling it, it just smells like home. But if you're not from, this, from the, the country, it smells terrible. But if you leave manure alone, it just breaks down, it falls apart, it ferments, it stinks. And so what they would do in the ancient world is put salt in the fertilizer to keep it from falling apart so that you could put it in the field and help plants grow. Right. I mean, Luke 14, 34, Jesus says something similar. That if salt loses its saltiness, how will it be restored? It's no good to the soil or the manure pile. It's just useless, it's thrown away. And so what is Jesus saying? If we're salt, if we are the manure of the earth, if we're called to be in the smelly places of the world, <laughs> I mean, it's saying, again, you can't run away. It doesn't matter how you look at this, whether you're fertilizer or whether you're, you want to be a preservative, the salt itself, for it to be useful, has to be right there among the smelly places. Because what it does... As fertilizers, it gets down. I mean, for salt to be salt, it has to be in the manure. It's got to get in there. It's got to preserve the, the things. And then it goes into the ground in order to help life grow. And so you think about what Jesus said about the world. It's falling apart. It's like a barren desert out there. Right? That things just don't grow naturally. They need help. They need fertilizer. That's what the church is called to do, is to go into the community, into the world, to help our neighbors thrive. Right, so here's how Anthony Bradley put it. He's a professor down at King's College. He says, The followers of Jesus Christ are sent on a mission to stimulate growth in the parts of the world that are barren. We're called to be mixed into the manure piles of the world so that God can use that fertilizer to bring new 
virtuous life. And so here's Jesus' point. If you're in the kingdom, if you're a Christian, you are, as your identity, equipped with the blessing that makes you salty, and you are called to go in. You can't run away. Because you know what the manure piles are around us, right? (laughs) Our broken lives. Financial problems. Addictions. People stuck in oppression and and, in the trappings of poverty. Uh, Bad decision-making. Even people just rejecting the gospel. That's part of it. As the salt of the earth, we don't look at the hardness and pain that we're going to experience and run away. We're called to be abnormally attracted to it, to go in, to live in the proverbial manure pile. You're starting to get the idea, right, what Jesus is saying, that my followers are not given the option to just hoard my grace and stay by themselves. I'm equipping you for a mission. I'm I'm blessing you to be a blessing. To send his blessed ones into the difficult places, knowing that his blessing means they they can handle it. Because there's a future. I mean, just think about Jesus for a minute. This was his mode of operation. This is how his mission, this is how he brought the kingdom from heaven to earth. He came down into the manure pile that is the world. He came from heaven to earth to be salt. And he didn't avoid suffering. He didn't avoid rejection and hardship. He looked at compassion and he got involved with people, even with the people who would reject him. He was insulted. Nobody understood him. The religious people of the day said, you're hanging out with all the wrong kinds of people. You're a glutton. You're a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You have no business hanging out with smelly people like that. And they killed him for it. But really, from God's perspective, if you know the gospel, you've got Jesus coming down from heaven to earth to save sinners like us. He's, he's coming to dwell with the filthy, to make us pure, to make us clean to redeem, to save a people whose best deeds were filthy. And so we're called to, really what Jesus is saying is we're going to imitate that same model of ministry and go out into the world um, to share him in the midst of broken lives. Salt by itself is a powerful metaphor, but he also says you are the light of the world. And this one's a little more familiar. You look at verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm going to repeat the system. (laughs) <laughs> because we, we need to hear it again and again. This is one of the most incredible things that Jesus could ever say about Christians. He says, you are the light of the world. Because you know what Jesus says about himself? He says, I am the light of the world. And so he's saying, by virtue of association with me, you are what I am. But that's only possible if you are given this light. 
And you think about who he said it to. He didn't say it to, the, to those in power. He didn't say it to those who are uh, the breast and the brightest. He said it to normal people living in a blue-collar corner of the universe. He said it to nobodies, to people like us, to people who would naturally feel like they're useless. Because what am I doing? I'm just living my life. And he says, you are the light of the world. That in Christ, you have something to offer that the world does not have. Jesus. If you look at how Matthew, and we're only in the beginning of the book, but Matthew says, when Jesus came to this part of the world, it's like a, a light shone down from heaven. Light has landed on this, by the Sea of Galilee. Light is shown in a hopeless place to a people dwelling in darkness. And so in a non, in a non we're here to save everything sort of way, Jesus is saying, you are here to save the day through me. You are the light of the world. And you need to hear that. as a, That's your identity. And Jesus is saying, when I come, I bring the kingdom of heaven to you, and now I'm passing the torch. I'm giving you the torch. And go out into the world. Right. I mean, I, I think I love the scene from Lord of the Rings. And in the second movie, you know, it's the big battle of Helm's Deep. It's this this big uh, castle in the wall in the caves. And, and before the battle starts, Gandalf, one of the heroes, he's dressed in white. Uh, he says, all right, you need to look for me coming on the third day. And the third day, and the, and the dawn rises, look for me and I will come. And he, at the mo- point where it's most bleak, most hopeless, most dark, and even the movie, it's, they show up just as the sun rises and this person in white shows up and they ride down to victory, bringing hope to the hopeless. I mean, that, that's the picture of the coming of the kingdom that I think Tolkien had in mind, was Jesus showing up in a dark place to say, now you have a way to deal with death. Now you have a way to, to show people what, what the moral life has lived and how you get there. I mean, you think about what light does. Light reveals. I mean, you've experienced this. So you walk into a room as a Christian and, and publicly acknowledge that fact. It, does, it gets uncomfortable. Because all of a sudden, people who normally wouldn't feel guilty feel guilty. <laughs> or mad because you're making them feel guilty, even whether you say anything or not. Um, that's exactly what Jesus says. That, that when he came into the world, people loved the darkness rather than the light because it showed their works were evil. That's what's going to happen. Light shines in the world and shows what's right and wrong. But it also show, gives meaning and purpose. That when the kingdom of heaven comes, right, that bright light, Jesus coming and he brings us, he says, you are the light of the world. You're showing people now that they have something to live for. So you think about darkness. What do you do in the dark? Nothing. You think about yourself and just try and survive. But when light comes, you... The Bible talks about God's word being a light for your path and showing you how to live life in this fallen world. I mean, when, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am your reason for living. And you carry that into the dark world and saying, this is what you are to live for. Right. And so this is the bombshell. Jesus says, you have what I have. You are the light of the world. You're called to go in. 
You're called to go in and help people make sense of their suffering, to help them make sense of death, to say that in Christ, death is not the end. You have a hope. One day that, that picture of, of the king coming, once again, he's going to bring the kingdom. He's going to swallow up death forever. And he's going to be the light of the new heavens and new earth where life will be lived as things ought to be, have been. No more suffering, no more rejection, no more hostility, for great is your reward in heaven, says Jesus. This is your reward now. It's already yours. And Jesus says, because you have a future, go in. Who cares what they take from you? <laughs> they may take everything. But because the reward is already yours, you don't have to earn it, you can go. And so how do you do this? And we're called to not avoid. We can't run away. We can't, we can't cave in and change what the, what the Bible tells us we're called to believe. How do we do it? How do we become a city on a hill? I mean, I think that's a clue. We can't do it on our own. So I'll, I'll tie it all together for you. See, the gospel sends us out into the world. And this is what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to be about. Is how do you live your life as a believer? Uh, in relationship with God and with one another. And what Jesus says is you're called to live your life in a way that they turn around and look at you and say, I don't know what I would do without you. Praise God. Right? That's light. That's salt. Right. And I know what happens as we talk about these things is I always, I have a, some of us have more tender consciences, I'll put it this way. And so when you hear, if I'm not doing these things, then I must be useless. But what, one of the things that Jesus says to us here, right, you've got to process the command to be salt and light as your identity. And to see that, yeah, if you, if you run away, or if you give in and change your beliefs, you, you're not, you're not going to be of any help to anyone. But he's saying what, what makes you salt and what makes you light is your connection to the one who, who is salt and light. Right. I mean, you think of Jesus as salt of the earth. He went towards brokenness. As light of the world, he went into the darkness and he was rejected and hurt for you and for me. I mean, Jesus was warning, if you don't do this right, you're going to be, end up on the trash heap. I mean, really, that's, that's what Jesus came to do. Right? Where did Jesus die for sinners, for people like us who are, do not have the moral ability to be salt and light on our own? Jesus used his word to describe hell. It was called Gehenna. Right? And Gehenna was the trash heap. That's where you took everything that was useless. You, you burned it up. Right, so they would take their trash. That's where they would dispose of dead bodies for the sake of sanitation. I mean, Jesus in the gospel is telling us that as the salt of the earth, he was thrown out. He went through hell for us so that we could be salt to have his presence. He came down to stop the decay and allowed the decay to destroy him. I mean, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through hell. The experience of being useless, where God treated him as our sin deserved. 
He was persecuted, slandered, reviled, hated for righteousness' sake. He was doing that out of love and obedience for his Father, for us. So God could turn to us, to me. I mean, I'm part of the problem. When I go into a place, I'm, I'm the biggest problem in the room because I bring me to the equation. And Jesus turns to us to contributed to decay in our own lives and the ones around us and says, you are salt. You now, by virtue of my presence with you, have the ability to stop the decay in your life. Just, just by being there, saying, I'm not going to run, I'm not going to change what I believe, I'm going to love you faithfully through thick and thin. And if you reject me and you hurt me, great is my reward in heaven. I mean, you could do it with light. Jesus did the same. He came down into the darkness. And you know, you know the picture of the cross. Where did Jesus die? Was the sun shining on him? Darkness fell in the middle of the day, so, like an eclipse. And the light of the world, the one who, who lived the most beautiful life, was snuffed out in darkness. And by everyone's appearances, everyone looked at him and said, what a waste of a good life. And then Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification, the dawning of the day of the kingdom, so that we could have his obedience, so that we could be light. So, you know, this is coming at you. It, it's saying that you and I cannot be salt or light apart from faith in the gospel where God comes down and says, I'm going to give you my spirit and equip you to live out to do what you can never do on your own. And that's, that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple months as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Do you think the Bible's about you, Jesus says? No, it's about me. I came to fulfill the law. Uh, you think lust is only about you? I came to show you what marriage is really like. I'm going to be faithful to you. Somebody is unfaithful. Uh, you want to know about anger. How are you going to control your anger? Right? It, to, to think angry thoughts is murder. Let me show you how how you deal with anger. I'm going to take all of you the anger you deserve to set you free. I mean, that, this is what we're going to talk about, and that as you see that you are set free from the law, that'll make you salt and light as you take that blessing of grace into the world to deal with, well, the very sins that are described in the rest of the sermon. So, what is Jesus doing? He's making us well, as, as Peregrine read, he's like making us a polished arrow in God's quiver to bring salvation to the difficult places of the world. This is your identity. How, how will you do that? How will you live in light of this? It should, should affect your parenting. You parent as salt and light. It should affect your, when you walk into a room in your job, you, you, you work as salt and light. Um, this is something that that this, is, this requires, this is a community project. It requires accountability, it requires questions, it requires help, it requires us to think these things through together. But the gospel, according to Jesus, according to the Sermon on the Mount, is saying you have every blessing you need because you have God's presence to help us do this. And so my prayer is that you would Run to him, to hear his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy, says Jesus, because he's taken the burden upon himself. Go and learn what that means. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the gift of the gospel, which tells us we are salt before we ever go out to try and help people. Uh, that you tell us that we are light before we, um, before we've ever get done a good deed. And so I pray that that would move us uh, to be patient with our neighbors. As Martin Luther said, you know, you don't need our good deeds to make you happy, but our neighbors do. <laughs> and so I pray you would help us as a church to process what our call is to here in Boston Spa, that we might love the unlovable and run to, to come alongside and show mercy to those who need mercy. And for that to happen, we have to believe the gospel first. And so help us do that, Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.